Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Oh, gracious and most merciful Father, we pray that we would not be conformed to this world, but you would transform us by the renewing of our minds, that we would, by testing, be able to discern what the will of God is, what is good and acceptable and perfect. We pray that even this very evening, this scripture that is before us, we would be able to see your will in all circumstances, your plan and promises fulfilled. We pray that we would cherish these promises found in your scriptures. We realize that we cannot do this on our own accord, but we need your help. Renew us in our minds by the work of the Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name, amen. Hear now the word of the Lord from Genesis chapter 46. We'll be focusing on uh, verses 5 to the uh, chapter 20, uh, verse 27, but I'll read from verse 1 for context. So, Genesis chapter 46, verse 1. So Israel took his journey with all that he had and came to Beersheba and offered sacrifices to the God of his father Isaac. And God spoke to Israel in visions of the night and said, Jacob, Jacob. And he said, Here I am. Then he said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt, for there I will make you into a great nation. I myself will go down with you to Egypt, and I will also bring you up again. And Joseph's hand shall close your eyes. Then Jacob set out from Beersheba, And the sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, and their little ones, and their wives, in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent them to carry him. They also took their livestock and their goods, which they had gained in the land of Canaan, and came into Egypt, Jacob and all his offspring with him, his sons and his sons' sons with him, his daughters and his sons' daughters. All his offspring he brought with him into Egypt. Now these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came into Egypt, Jacob and his sons, Reuben, Jacob's firstborn, the sons of Reuben, Hanok, Palu, Hezron, and Carmi, and the sons of Simeon, Jemuel, Jamin, Ohad, Jakin, Zohar, and Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman, the sons of Levi. Gershon, Kohath, and Mirari, the sons of Judah, Ur, Onan, Selah, Perez, and Zerah. But Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. And the sons of Perez were Hezron and Hamu. The sons of Issachar, Tola, Puva, Job, and Shimron. The sons of Zebulon, Serid, Elon, and Jalil. These are the sons of Leah, whom she bore to Jacob in Padam Aram, although with his daughter Dinah, although his sons and his daughters numbered thirty-three. The sons of Gad, Ziphion, Haggai, Shuni, Ezbron, Uri, Arari, Arili, the sons of Asher, Imna, Ishva, Ishvi, Barara, and Siah, their sister. 
and the sons of Berari, Heber, and Mal- Malchiel. These are the sons of Zippah, whom Laban gave to Leah, his daughter. And she bore to Jacob 16 persons. The sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, whom Asenath, the daughter of Potipharah, the priest of On, bore to him. And the sons of Benjamin, Bela, Beker, Ashbel, Gira, Naaman, Ahai, Rosh, Mappim, Huppin, and Ar. And these are the sons of Rachel, who were born to Jacob, fourteen persons in all. And the sons of Dan, Hushim, and the sons of Naphtali, Jazil, Guni, Jezer, Shilim. These are the sons of Bilhah, whom Laban gave to Rachel his daughter, and these she bore to Jacob, seven persons in all. All the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his own descendants, not including Jacob's sons' wives, were sixty-six persons in all. And the sons of Joseph, who were born to him in Egypt, were two. All the persons of the house of Jacob, who came into Egypt, were seventy. The grass withers and the flowers fade, but the word of our Lord will stand forever. If you were to have a theme verse for tonight's passage, I think you could select quite a few actually from this passage. This passage is mentioned quite a few times throughout the Bible. You might choose Deuteronomy 26 verse 5. We looked at this last time. When they're about to walk into the promised land and they're telling the story of what has happened... Deuteronomy chapter 26, verse 5, this is a verse which would be read out at a Passover feast. And they said, And you shall make response before the Lord your God. A wandering Armenian was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. And there he became a great nation, great, mighty, and populous. That here, what we find in this passage is is they're about to go into Egypt. And as Deuteronomy looks back on this moment, they say, what is about this number that is so significant? The number is that there is few. That they are few in number. Now we've seen many genealogies before. There's about 25 throughout the, the whole of the Bible. And... Often when we come to genealogies, we roll our eyes. We need to, as we roll our eyes, be reminded of that great verse in 2 Timothy 3.16, that all of Scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness that the man of God may be complete. Timothy, Paul is not writing to Timothy that all of Scripture, except genealogies, even these genealogies which God has passed down for us in Scripture are still profitable for us. But why is this genealogy profitable for us? What makes this genealogy different from other genealogies? Now the first thing that we see is Moses pointing out to us under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It is not merely just Jacob who left for Egypt. But his whole family leaves with him. Verse 1 began that Israel took his journey 
with all that he had. We see this also in verse 5 and 6. As Jacob set out from Beersheba, the sons of Israel carried Jacob, their father, their little ones, and their wives in the wagons that Pharaoh had sent to them. They also took their livestock and their goods they had gained in the land of Canaan and came into Egypt. And Jacob and all of his offspring with him, his sons, his sons' sons, his daughters and his sons' daughters, all of his offspring he brought with them into Egypt. We then see right at the end of this section that we read, in verse 26, all the persons belonging to Jacob who came into Egypt, who were his descendants. We see now that this emphasis is not just Jacob is going to Egypt, but all of his offspring is also voyaging down to Egypt. Now this is important when we think about this decision. It's decision not that Jacob is merely going down to Egypt. But now you have this mini nation, this small family going to Egypt as well. Although they are few in number, you might say that it's not a nation at this point. It's just a large family going down to Egypt. You think about this for a moment. The promise was made to Abraham and passed down to his son Isaac... And the promise is then made to Jacob. Esau despised his birthright, but here now you have a promise that flows from family to family and and down through the people. And this promise is not now just for Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but this promise now continues to all of Jacob's sons. That the promise is given to a person but flows through a family. See the fullness of this family. You see this in Genesis chapter 35, this list of sons in contrast with Esau. Now before we get into this interesting, this genealogy, just a few interesting comments. There are 77 names in this passage. 78 if you count the Canaanite woman who is nameless. How then do you deal with the last two verses which are given in verse 26 and 27? Where there were 66 persons in all. And then you have Joseph and the persons uh, came with his sons. Then you have 70. So you remove the wives, Jacob and Joseph. They're not counted because Joseph is counted later. And you have 66 Sons, grandsons, great-grandsons. You remove Judah's two sons who died in Canaan. Joseph's two sons who are not in Canaan. Then you add Joseph, two more sons, and Jacob. That would be your 70. Now I think it's pretty clear uh, how this happens. But of course, liberal scholars will come and question this to the heart's content. Mention all these discrepancies. For many reasons, but I'll point out one. The first just plays into their thinking. That we know much more than we, they knew back then. See, they cannot even count. How can we trust them? They point this to show how few there are. 
This is the purpose of what they're writing about here. It's not about the specific numbers, although I think the specific numbers work out. It's not about the specific numbers. What it is, is to show that they are not a nation. As they leave for Canaan to Egypt, they are not a nation. They are just a family. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 22 says, Your fathers went down to Egypt 70 persons. And now the Lord has, your God has made you numerous as the stars of heaven. And this then leads us to the first point of this genealogy. They're large compared to the past, but they're not large compared to the promise. They're large compared to the past, but not large compared to the promise. Now Abraham had two sons, Isaac and Ishmael. Isaac had two sons, Jacob and Esau. However, through Jacob you have this explosion of children. Now normally what has happened is the other side, Ishmael and Esau, have large numbers in their family as we've seen their genealogies go through. They, they have this enormous amount of children who have sons. They become a nation almost instantly. But here you have Jacob now who has had his sons. That Israel is now increasing. However, the promise is not merely that you would have 70 people. It's large compared to the past. We've seen an explosion compared to the past, but it's not large compared to the promise. The promise in Genesis 15 says, Look towards heaven and number the stars if you are able to number them. So shall your offspring be. So he, being Abraham, believed the Lord, and he counted to him as righteousness. The promise is that look to the stars and count them. You can't count them. This is what your numbers are going to be. There's going to reach a point where you cannot number your offspring. But the point here is that you can count them. You can count them. There are 70. We're told that there are 70. We're told that the promise is being fulfilled, that these numbers are increasing, but it has not yet been fulfilled. Now, as we look at this genealogy, we need to note that there's two main things when you're studying a genealogy that are helpful. It means that there's nothing wrong with doing other aspects. These two main things are helpful for me. I think it's sometimes helpful to do studies of names and their origins. But maybe a bit of a word of caution. If you ever find someone that turns to a genealogy and says, let's count the numbers, or let's count the, the letters and assign them a number, and try and find out some secret code to be able to unpack this genealogy, this is just not how the Bible is written. But I think there's two main things that are helpful when I turn to a genealogy I understand. And the first is a pattern. To see the repetition that, is, that occurs throughout it. Now one common pattern that you see throughout this whole passage is Jacob and Israel. In verse 8, these are the names of the descendants of Israel who came to Egypt. Jacob and his son. Reuben, Jacob's firstborn. 
Then each section closes with this similar pattern in verse 15, in verse 18, in verse 22, in verse 25. These are the sons of the wife. And then a detail about that wife. And then they were born to Jacob. And then the number of the people. This repetition helps us to see that there's a pattern between all these names, all these people. And that is Jacob. Jacob is the trunk in this tree, this genealogy. And although we must not think merely of physical connections, but also spiritual connections as well. That the blessing of the land and the offspring flow not just to a single person but flow through the family as well. Noah is the one who is highlighted in in Genesis chapter 6 that God made a covenant with Noah in Genesis chapter 9. But it's not that just that covenant flows to Noah, but it flows to all his family. There, There are eight people on the ark, not just Noah. Although there's no other mention about the the promises of God being connected to the other members in the ark, they receive the promises given to Noah. God preserved them. Same too with the promise of Abraham. That this flows through not just to Abraham, but Abraham's children as Isaac sits on his lap. And these promises are not just carried to Jacob and to his sons, but also those little children that are sitting on that wagon provided by Pharaoh as they go into the land of Egypt. That the promises of God are fulfilled because of what God has made to his people. He makes those promises to a head and those promises flow through those heads. It's important, as Lord willing, next time, maybe next year, we'll begin studying Exodus together. In Exodus chapter chapter 2, verse 23. During those days, the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God. And God hearing their groaning and God remembering his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac and with Jacob. God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Exodus has no mention of God speaking to his people in Egypt. But God remembers his promises to Jacob, to Isaac, to Abraham. And as these promises flow, it's his covenant with Jacob. And here in this passage, we see that this is connected to Jacob. These promises are connected to his sons and to his grandsons. And to the generations that will come before that in Exodus chapter 2, they'll cry out and God remembers his covenant to Jacob as well. So the second portion of the tree is not just to see what is familiar, what is the pattern, to see what it does not conform to a pattern. What jumps out, what is different that is mentioned. The first thing is to look at the similarities between how the genealogy is presented. The second is to look at all the differences. So in this genealogy, we actually have several differences that I think help uh, explain the major point of what this parable, uh, this genealogy is about. 
The first is Rachel is only mentioned as his wife. I do not seek to be able to spend a lot of time on this point. But in verse 19 it says that the sons of Rachel, Jacob's wife, Joseph and Benjamin. Now the reason I don't want to spend a lot of time on it because in other portions of scripture... Jacob is actually referred, the others are actually referred to as Jacob's wives as well. So I think it's, it's inaccurate to then be able to say Jacob only had one wife, or the others weren't referred to as wives. See this in Genesis 32. In the same night he took his two wives and his two female servants and his eleven children and crossed the fort of Jabuk. Genesis chapter 31, verse 17. And Jacob arose and set his sons and his wives on camels. So it's in no way trying to demise, diminish what is said, been said before, that Rachel is his only wife. But it's an interesting difference that has been highlighted here. But even in Genesis chapter 37, you might say that he only had two wives, but in Genesis 37... We're told that the boy, this is um, Joseph they're talking about, with the sons of Bilhah and Zilpah, his father's wives. So again, I think that uh, while they're talking about wives, I think that Rachel got a large explanation of how she died. That Rachel is, is unique compared to the other wives, most likely because of Jacob's love for her. But it is not Rachel who is buried in the promised gravesite that Abraham was, Isaac was, and Sarah and Rebekah. But it's also Leah who was buried there as well. We see that in Genesis chapter 49. But also that we need to highlight at this point that most likely his wife's are passed away or dead, if not at least Leah as well. Rachel has passed away before we know this. But in Genesis chapter 49, when he's explaining what happened, where he wants his body to be buried, he says in verse 39, And there I buried Leah. So most likely before he went to Egypt, Leah was buried in that land uh, where Abraham, Sarah, Isaac, and Rebekah were buried as well. The second unique thing here is the comment of the son of a Canaanite woman. In verse 10, the sons of Simeon goes through the list, and then Shaul, the son of a Canaanite woman. Now, I believe this is a warning of a comment. And I want to point out two things here, that Simeon has six sons, But it does not say the sons of a Canaanite woman. It was not that she had multiple sons with this Canaanite woman, but just the son, singular. Now behind this, we have an untold story that we do not know. We know about Judah and his his sons and his, uh, with Tamar, leading to Perez. But it is Simeon who violently attacks the Shechemites in Genesis 34. 
where Jacob turns to Simeon and Levi and says that you have brought trouble on me by making me stink in the inhabitants of the land, the Canaanites and the Perizzites. My numbers are few. And they gather themselves together against me and attack me. I shall be destroyed, both I and my household. Again, Jacob understands these number here. He is but a few. But the warning given to the people of Israel, to the people that have gone before, when Abraham sends his servant out to be able to go and marry, um, find a wife for Isaac, he's told very specifically, he tells his servant that you will not take for your wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanite women from whom I dwell. But yet you, here you see, before they even enter into the promise and in, in, enter into Egypt, before entering into the world, there's already signs that they're adapting and marrying those people around them. And again, every time we need to be reminded that it's not about ethnicity. It's about their worship. Which worship do which God do they worship? The issue is always about them taking on more gods. The first commandment is that you shall have no other gods before me. And even we see sin within the people of God even before they are going into the world. There is always this mixture of sin and error. We don't seek to be able to claim anyone's salvation. But it does act as a warning for those whom the book is written. Again, remember who this book is written to. This book is written to the wilderness wanderings. Those who are about to enter into the promised land. And there's many warnings about what they are to do with those who already live there. You see the dangers of multiple wives and marrying people who do not worship the same God. And here this genealogy is, is, is subtly mentioning this warning. The third difference here we see Ur and Onan died in the land of Canaan. In verse 12, we get this parenthesis mentioning these two sons, which this story we know all too well about Ur and Onan. Another cautionary tale given to us, one that we have seen and heard before, but Moses wants to remind us that Ur and Onan, notice the progression. Simeon married a Canaanite woman. Now Moses points out that the Canaanite children of Judah. Genesis 38 But Ur, Judah's firstborn, was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death. 38.10 And what Onan did was wicked in the sight of the Lord, and the Lord put him to death also. As they step into Egypt, they're confronted with many gods to be able to worship, many women who might seem attractive, But here these are, these little comments that act as reminders for those who are wandering in the wilderness, about to enter into this promised land. This warning about what happens when you you take on the, 
the worship of other gods. But this warning also for those who don't make it, who don't get to see the promise fulfilled because they, what they did was wicked in the sight of the Lord. They don't think that you're just because you're born into this family, you receive the promises of this family. The fourth difference that we see throughout here is the daughters and the sisters. It's worth commenting that Dinah and Sarah are mentioned. Now we can understand Dinah. We know her story. We know nothing of the story of Asher's daughter, Sarah. Now interestingly, we do not know the reason of this name, why they name her. But every time this genealogy is repeated in the Bible, in Genesis 46, Numbers 26, 1 Chronicles chapter 7, here her name is, Sarah. Now I can't even begin to be able to speculate any reason why her name is here. But I think it is important that although we might not know her story, we might not know the details of anything about her, that her name is recorded in Scripture three times. So I bring this to your attention. If not for the sake, if you get to heaven and you meet Sarah, that you know who she is. Asher's daughter, mentioned three times in the Bible. And don't say I didn't tell her about you. The fifth difference here is Joseph's wife. In verse 20. And to Joseph in the land of Egypt were born Manasseh and Ephraim, who Esenath, the daughter of Potiphria, the priest of On, bore to him. Now this might be placed here as contrast to the other contrast about the Canaanite woman and the mention of Ur and Onan. Now we do not know much about this relationship, but we do know, as we mentioned in chapter 41, that although we might not see that uh, Joseph's wife had grown up a believer, their names of their children reflect that at least Joseph, if he had an important part in naming his children, reflect that Joseph continued to worship God. Now we can't say more than what Scripture has told us, but this might seem that in contrast to the other mentions before, Joseph compared to Judah and Simeon continues to remain steadfast in a foreign land. Now what can we notice from all of this? That people have a history. People with stories and people with a promise. There's people mentioned in here that are know about Laban. Reminded of Laban, even the blessing that came to Jacob. This heritage of his children and his grandchildren from this tumultuous time in, in Jacob's life. Reminded of his past and his history, but yet God's faithfulness even in this time. As they, he left the promised land, he inherited this blessing and this promise of children. So as now he leaves again from Beersheba to go to Egypt... This promise still remains that he will be blessed and be made into a nation. Not only people with a history, but people with stories. Every one of these people had a story. And some of them we know. We know about Joseph and Judah and Simeon and Levi and Reuben and Dinah. 
but we don't know about all of them. We're reminded that we find out about very few of the people of God that have walked through history. We do, do not see the great cloud of witnesses. We know that there is a great cloud, but we do not know the details of that great cloud. We only really get to hear and know about a select few. And we only have their story. Not only those who are in scripture, but those who are throughout all of history. There are many people of God who have no biography written about them. They are nameless to some, but does not mean they do not have a story. And it does not mean that they're not included in God's book of life. Whether we are recognized for doing great things or not, we labor in to serve God and to serve God alone. As Paul writes in Corinthians, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. We need to be reminded that there are many people in the Bible and many that we do not know their stories. That does not mean their stories are not important. But also we see there are people with a promise. That this group of people who are leaving the promised land did did not leave the promises in the land. They piled up their carts. They placed their valuable possessions on this cart. Their children, their wives, and they went towards Egypt. At that moment, a, a small family, not even you would call it a nation, But when they return, they return a great nation. A great nation in whom the great Savior will come and bring salvation for the whole world. That God's promises are not limited to a specific geographical place, but God's promises are fulfilled even in the most unlikely situations. As we read before in Deuteronomy chapter 26 verse 5. You will make this response before the Lord your God. A wandering Arminian was my father. And he went down into Egypt and sojourned there, few in number. But there he became a great, a nation, great, mighty, and populous. Or in Psalm 105. This great historical psalm listening to the history of what God has done. Oh, give thanks to the Lord. Call upon his name. Make known his deeds among the people. Sing to him. Sing praises to him. Tell of his, all his wondrous works. Glory in his holy name. Let the hearts of those who seek the Lord rejoice. Seek the Lord in his strength. Seek his presence continually. Remember the wondrous works that he has done, his miracles and the judgments he uttered. O offspring of Abraham, his servant, O children of Jacob, his chosen ones. He is the Lord our God. His judgments are in all the earth. He remembers his covenant forever and the word he commanded for a thousand generations. The covenant that he made with Abraham and he sworn promise to Isaac. He confirmed to Jacob as a statue to Israel is an everlasting covenant. Here this promise flows and we see God's faithful love. 
And then down in verse 23. Then Israel came to Egypt. Jacob sojourned in the land of Ham. And the Lord made his people very fruitful and made them stronger than their foes. He turned their hearts to hate his people and deal craftily with his servants. Here what we have is this genealogy paints the before picture. We see the promises fulfilled up to this point, but yet there is more promises to be fulfilled and God is going to do it in a barren and, and, and a foreign land. God is going to fulfill his promises. We do not have the picture that they show after the before and the after picture. But we see now that they are fewer in number, God is going to do a mighty work to make them a great and mighty and populous nation. Even in, in the nation of Egypt. Let's go to Lord in prayer. O gracious and most merciful Father, we give you thanks and praise that the seed of the gospel needs not the the luscious land of the promised land to be able to be fulfilled, but only you are the one that makes the promise. Lord, that you are the one who is fulfilling your promise that you had told to Abraham that his generations would go and be slaves in a foreign land, but also the promise that they would grow in great in number, that they would be so great that you could not even count them. Lord, we pray as we go in this world that we would see, although we may be few in number, we would see your numbers grow. We would see children come forth, covenant children carry on that promise for a thousand generations. We would see people walk through our door, hear this glorious good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, repent and be baptized. We pray that we would see, although unlikely in the eyes of the world, that your church would continue to flourish, even in a barren land, in the world, that this gospel tree would continue to grow. We would see many more genealogies come to pass as the great cloud of witnesses continues to increase. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Seven Springs Presbyterian Church. If you want to learn more about us, please find us on Facebook or visit us at sevenspringspresbyterian.com. Seven Springs Presbyterian Church began in 1874 and is a congregation of the Presbyterian Church in America located in Glade Spring, Virginia. Please join us for worship on Sunday at 10 a.m. and 6 p.m. for His Glory and His Gospel.